Hey guys! Hey. How's it going? It's, it's been a while. It's, yeah, it's been quite a while. We're so sorry. Our schedule, again, I know two episodes again, I was like, we're gonna get back on track. It's gonna be great. We're not. No. We did not get back not. on track. I have been home this summer a total of like a week and a half, yeah. counting the week that I am, we are currently in. Yeah, we've both <laughs> been out of town a ton. Delaney especially. Yeah. I have been at a summer other. camp. Yeah. Like, literally most of the summer. Yeah, so. so we've had, like, not a lot of time. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we... This one will be released Friday. Yes. As normal. I believe right now, as our podcasting schedule is every crazy. other Friday. But it's, it's Yeah, there. it's crazy. Uh, so... Don't so, rely too much on that, because, as we know, apparently, can't be trusted on podcast scheduling. No. <laughs> and, um, following the episode this Friday, I probably wouldn't expect an episode. Well, since it's every other Because Friday. every other- I know, yeah. but I'm gonna be out of town for two weeks. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, if we can get a time to record in before I leave, then maybe, but, like, yeah. it's, it's just some, wild. Somehow, summer scheduling has been worse than in school. And that's mainly my fault. I yeah. apologize. I'm just really busy, I yeah. guess. Blame Delaney, if anyone. Yes. Put all the blame on me. I do not care. Oh, we didn't even introduce ourselves. I'm oh, Savannah. I'm Delaney. And this is the Crime Chronicles. <laughs> Welcome. Sorry about that. Been a while. Again, been a while. <laughs> I feel like we say that every episode now, but it's okay. We, we're getting there. I honestly think that once the school year starts, we'll be more, like... Way more oh, consistent. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you guys for bearing with us. Um, we just want to say a quick thank you um, also to uh, all of our followers. Yeah, We just hit 750 on our Instagram. Which um, is insane. Which is, like, incontro- incomprehensible to us. Like, we, we were talking to friends about that, and they were, like, spitting out numbers, and we were like, what? Well, they were like, when you hit 1,000, and I was like, when? <laughs> like, I was, Excuse that makes me? no sense. I just, I didn't understand, like... That's a possibility, and yeah. it's just, it's, yeah, we're so thankful for every, every single follower and listener. Literally, you guys, you guys are, are the best. Yeah, you guys are <laughs> literally the best. Um, and then also, we made so many friends. Just so many podcasting our, friends. Yeah. Um, quick shout out to True Crime and Academia, uh, Mary DePeepee, we love her. She literally our did, favorite. We just did a little interview with her, which I believe will be coming out next uh, week. Next sometime. week. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be talking about that on our Instagram as well. Um, but that was literally wanna... the best interview. It, it was, was so fun. So fun. It was amazing. Guys, you gotta go listen yeah, to that. Yeah, you guys, yeah. Because got... Mary's literally the best. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Go listen to her podcast as well at True Crime and Academia. Yes. Or in Academia, I believe. Yes. Yeah, in. And uh, she's, yeah, it was great. Um, so if you want to see a little behind the scenes look of like why we started our podcast, what cases we're most interested in, how we juggle school cool and this, this um, um, all of that stuff. So yeah, just uh, pop over to her page or our Instagram page, um, and we'll post more about that. But yeah, just very everyone exciting. in general. There's so many shout outs we could do. I probably will do a more a couple more at the end of the episode. But oh yeah, yeah. 100%. Because, like literally there are so many of you guys that we would just we could talk for like 20 minutes <laughs> hours, just about hours, literally hours. guys, it's insane. Yes. So right. now we have a few updates in the true crime Com- community. community. So um so recently a Jane Doe was discovered or uh, identified um, she was found in 1982, and the police nicknamed her Princess Doe. 
but she's been identified as then 17 year old Don Olenek from Long Island. Uh, so yeah, just as a PSA, yeah. there's luckily recently have been a ton of Jane Doe and John Doe like identifications, which is so important because that brings closure to their families who are missing them. Absolutely. So after she was identified, Arthur Kinlaw was arrested for the murder. Um, and she was, he was a long suspect in that, and he had been in on a couple of other con- confess or, uh, excuse me, convictions, um, and apparently confessed before, but now they've officially arrested him for it, so. Which is good. Yeah, so we're very glad for closure on that. Yes, um, 100%. Like, it's just important in general that when we have John and Jane Doe's, mm-hmm. like, just to get them ident- like, so they have a name. Exactly. Because it's like, that's a person. That's someone who has people who care about them. Exactly. It's yeah. not just a nameless body. Yeah, exactly. So. Everyone deserves recognition, especially those people that haven't been identified. Exactly. Um, but yeah, another thing that is something that I think we'll cover at some point, I talked about it on Instagram Ooh. and everyone was voting absolutely yes. So Alex Murdaugh was just indicted on the murder of his son and wife. Uh, this story, I'm not going to talk all about it, but there are so many things going on, especially in this family and with Alex Murdaugh. Like, it is crazy. So go look it up if you can. It is absolutely insane. Um, what's really creepy about this case is Maggie, his wife, before, um, he murdered both her and her son, uh, he, she texted a friend and said that the situation she was in with her husband felt fishy, said that he's up to something, um. Which is literally so eerie, given what happens next. So, yeah, it's, it's just, um, absolutely insane. Very creepy, um, Rest in peace, Maggie and Paul. Uh, yes. But yeah, it's it was just so much in that case is insane. Yeah, no. I think that we'll definitely cover that eventually. So Absolutely. I'll be looking forward to that. I don't have a ton of updates for you guys because, again, I've literally been away. Been away <laughs> and I've been so removed from the true crime community. So I'm so happy to be back <laughs> because I literally love it. Yes. But... Quickly, I did want to give an update in the Molly Bish case. I It's definitely a case I'm going to cover at some point because it's a case that I listened to and it really, like, had an impact on me and just the story of Molly, but also her sister Heather, who has done so much work to try to bring justice to Molly, even though, like, her case has been unsolved for over 20 years. Yes. Um. But quickly, in that case, for those of you who know about it, recently in June 2021, it was announced that there was a breakthrough in the case. Um, there was, uh, Francis Sumner Jr. was connected to the case, and so they took a DNA test, uh, sample from him to compare to the DNA found on Molly Bish's remains, and there was hope that this would bring the case to a close and that they could finally solve it. However, in a disappointing turn of events, the DNA did not match, and it was really disappointing for a lot of her family, so Mm -hmm. just thoughts and prayers to that family right now. Um, Heather Bish keeps promoting that they need to like test more people that are connected to this case because she really advocates for the fact that her family has been the ones trying to solve this case for so many years Mm -hmm. and so just that's an update in that case and it's one that I think is really important to talk about so I'll definitely cover that at some point if not my next case maybe the one Mm -hmm. after yeah so um yeah so that one was a little sad but but it's an update yeah 
yeah, if any of you guys want any, uh, us to talk about any updates that are happening recently or happened a long time ago, just let us know. Yeah. Any cases that you want us to cover in depth. Again, DMs, uh Even if it's a email. more, like, less known case, exactly. we will talk about it. Yes. We will do our research into it beforehand to make sure that we're covering it in a good light. Don't worry. Absolutely. All right. Well, now all of that said, <laughs> sorry for the very long intro, um, today we are covering Ted Bundy Part 3. Finally. His, arre- his first arrest all the way up until his death. This one is going to be crazy. It's going to be a it, long haul, this, guys. I, I have over 20 pages of notes. It's going to be a long one. It, so, <laughs> I was at camp, and I got a text from Savannah, and she was like, I have 20 pages of Ted <laughs> Bundy funny. Part 3, but it's done. And I was like, <laughs> I oh, finished my it. god. This case, for me, has always been one of the most interesting ones, um, and- I have poured my heart and soul into this. Yeah. But yeah, so... Savannah's really done the most. So yeah, finally, Ted Bundy Part 3. Go listen to Part 1 and 2 if you haven't. Uh, They're on everywhere you find our podcast. Yeah. But yeah, so let's get into it. I'm so excited. So to give you a little context back from Part 2, where we left off, um, it's the summer of 1975 in Utah. Ted is still killing. And his most recent known victim is 15-year-old Susan Curtis. Obviously, they don't know that it's Ted Bundy yet, but that is what he's doing at this moment. So, the police are aware of him, though, just as a suspect suspect. um, in many Washington disappearances. So, it wasn't necessarily in the other states, but in Washington. Because at this time, states didn't talk to To each each other. other. Yeah, in the 70s, the communication was non-existent. Yeah. Um, So, interestingly, at this time in Utah, which is like a little weird fact that I found out, Bundy became part of the LDS Mormon Church, oh. and he was even, like, officially baptized. So apparently, like, they came to his door, like, um, people like that do, and they'll just knock and, you know, talk about their religion and all of that stuff, and he was just like, I'm interested in that, cool! And so he became a Mormon, but only when he was in Utah. What? <laughs> so... <laughs> so, Ted Bundy casually was just like, like I'll be a Mormon! And people said from the church, like, the leader of the church said he was, like, very active in the community, would come to all the church meetings See, and all of those stuff. that's the weirdest thing to me about Ted Bundy's mm-hmm. character. Because here he is being involved in the church, and I'm here like, he is, you. like, working for a suicide hotline. Being, like, a normal and even, like, active, good person. In the community. Well, a lot of people what? would say. Anyways. Like, very, yeah. So that one's very interesting to me. Fun little tidbit for you. <laughs> so, yeah, in August of 1975... Um, patrol officer Bob Hayward noticed a car driving strangely with no lights on at night and running through many red lights and attempted to pull the car over many times before actually pulling it over. So driving this car, as you might have guessed, was Ted Bundy. Shocker. (laughs) And along with him in this car was a ski mask, an ice pick, fabric strips, rope, gloves, flashlight, a flashlight, crowbar, pantyhose, uh, handcuffs, and, you know... Everything along those very suspicious You items. know, all of the very <laughs> non-suspicious, <laughs> normal grocery shopping All items. your necessities, really. Exactly, exactly. Um, so he was subsequently arrested for failing to stop at the signal of a police officer, um, but he was also just like, this guy seems a little weird. He's uh, like, hmm. So, like, Let me see luckily here. he didn't pull him over on the first try, because then he had something to arrest him with, but the police officer was like, this guy is weird. Yeah. 
So after being arrested, it was taken note of that he looked very similar to the physical description of the man who had abducted Carol DeRanche, a nearby abduction survivor, which I talked about in part two. Um, So make sure you go listen to her story. Um, So the police in Utah decided to put him in a lineup to see if Carol recognized him, because at this point there had been no arrests or, like, uh, suspects in Carol's case. So according to investigators, he completely changed his appearance the day before the lineup. He shaved, he got a haircut, and he even changed the part in his hair so he would look different. Um, He's literally, like, so smart. And we've, we've talked about this in other, like... Uh, parts of this case. Oh, yeah. But he is the most shape-shifting man. Like, like, the pictures you'll see of him, he looks different in every single one. Yeah. It's, it's Sometimes insane. he looks like the man that you would steer clear from, like, like on the street. And sometimes uh-oh. he looks like someone you would just, like, see in your neighborhood and wave. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's so weird. Um. So, yeah, even though he completely changed his identity, Carol Durant still positively identified him, and he was charged officially charged with her kidnapping. So, this opened an avenue. This was, like, kind of the big turning point um, for different states where yeah. similar crimes had occurred to begin to communicating. So, once you hear about this and all the other states were like, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's, hap- like, the same thing happened here. It's so, same crime. <laughs> same man? Same man? <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, so, Ted's trial for the abduction of Carol Durant happened in February of 1976, where he actually waived the right to a jury trial and gave oh. the authority to the judge. So this was a non-jury trial, um, which was, like, not normal. No. <laughs> or, like, it's pretty uncommon. I wonder what his, like, motives were. Yeah, it's that. very... It, yeah. That's odd. Um, just a very interesting thing. So although he was really confident in winning this case and having been out on bail in the months before, so he wasn't being held in jail actively. Yeah. He was out on bail. Um, he was still found guilty during this trial and was sentenced to an indeterminate term, which means, like whatever term, really, of mm-hmm. 1 to 15 years. So, in between there. They Somewhere said, in there. Yeah. Don't worry. So, the psychologist appointed to him for this case recommended the jail time rather than probation after analyzation. Um, he, like, he was like, mm, this guy should not be out on probation. He was basically he like, jail. he's at risk for flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, those who knew him caused an uproar about this verdict, insisting that it wasn't him, that he was not capable of doing this, like, there was no which way. Which is crazy. Which, if you think about it now, um, I believe, I don't have this written down, but I believe that a lot of the children from the church actually wrote him, like, a huge card and, like, sent oh it to my him, gosh. like, we're thinking of you, Ted, or, like, stuff like that, and I just think about that, and I'm like, <sighs> No, because imagine looking back on that, too, right. like, being one of those kids who wrote that card later knowing what he did. Exactly. So yeah, it was, yeah. Um, during this time, his mother, Louise Bundy, said, quote, he had lots of friends, a very good student in school. He was a very normal, active boy. Our son is the best son in the world. Ted Bundy's mom is interesting. I also <laughs> believe this. <Anyways. laughs> this is, I agree with you. Well, are we talking about that later? Probably. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a ton, but a little bit, yeah. Slightly. It's there. Yeah. So, uh, shortly after this, Ted was served the warrant for the murder of Karen Campbell in Colorado. So he was in prison for, um, just attempted kidnapping. But Um, now all the other states are going, same crime, same man. Yeah, so the evidence against him in this case of Karen Campbell was really, really high. They had a lot of stuff against him. So a Wildwood Inn brochure, the inn where Karen disappeared from, was found in his apartment. Hmm, (laughs) interesting! Um, What a coincidence! Gas slips that he had proved that he was in Colorado and the area where 
area where Karen was abducted the day of that she was abducted. For as smart <laughs> as Ted Bundy was, he, he was really... also really dumb. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and a witness came forward as seeing him in the inn's elevator. So they had basically like, we know you were in Colorado, we know you knew about the inn, and we have a witness saying that you were there. So basically, <laughs> you're done. Yeah, they were basically like, you were you were there. Um, like this was you. So he was quickly extradited to Colorado's Garfield County Jail in January of 1977 without protest, which many investigators found, like, pretty shocking. He was just like, sure, I'll go to Colorado. Oh, um, interesting. I wouldn't expect that from a man who, like, didn't want a jury. Anyways. Yeah. So, um, while they were prepping for the trial and all his lawyers were getting ready and all that stuff, um, he began planning an escape. Of course. <laughs> as one does. And we'll hear... The escapes in this case are very interesting. So, um, in June, the preliminary hearing began at the Pit Pitkin, I believe? Pitkin? Pitkin? Something like that. County Courthouse. Um, Ted had a- had a- be- uh, excuse me. Ted had elected to be co-counsel on his lawyer team, and because of this was privileged to be without chains or shackles- and allowed free li- use of the law library and anywhere in the courthouse without supervision. Which is so stupid. So you have a man who's already been convicted of attempted kidnapping and then is on trial for, for murder, murder and you decide to let him go without handcuffs and roam around the entire building without supervision. Like I would think at least supervision. At least if not handcuffs. Yeah. Even if he is co-counseling. At, at least. Um so yeah, as you can see, kind of sets him up well for an escape. Um, yeah. So he practiced jumping out the window by jumping off of his high bunk bunk bed in the jail. So he would, like, there, stand on top of his bunk bed and jump down onto the floor to, like, prepare his legs. There is a scene in Extremely mm-hmm. Wicked, Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile that, like, depicts this escape. Yeah. It is the wildest scene. <laughs> I know the song that is playing. Yeah. <laughs> when it's happening. It's, yeah. Um, no, that movie's so, yeah, so good. If you want to see a little visual representation of that, go look at that. Um, so yeah, he would rant, he would run distances that he calculated between, like, the courthouse and the mountains and, like, out of the town limits by running back and forth in his cell. Which is- So he'd run those distances. He probably looked literally insane. Stupid, yeah. He He literally looked- Back and forth. Running, running, running. (laughs) She'll run and she attracts us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he also practiced changing his clothes and made sure to alter his appearance when he got out. So he was, like, practicing all of these things Which and prepping himself. Which is literally crazy that no one saw him doing all this and went, right. huh, um, what's he doing right? jumping off of his bunk? Right. What's he doing altering his whole appearance? <laughs> this seems a little interesting. Let's not worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. During a break in the hearing on June 7th, 1977, Bundy saw the open window in an adjacent room, walked over casually, and jumped out of the second-story window. <laughs> A drop of about 30 feet and began running through the streets of Aspen. Could you imagine standing outside the courthouse? I have something to tell you. Oh, God. So, Ted Bundy jumped out 30 feet from a second story window. A person saw him jump out. (laughs) Stop! went, Went inside the courthouse and straight up asked... Quote, if it was normal for someone to be leaping out of those windows. <laughs> I literally so love like... how this man saw someone probably in a prisoner's uniform jump out the window and was just like, hmm. Is that normal? So he just went inside. He goes, hey, is it normal for that to happen? And they were like, uh-oh. <laughs> they were like, oh, shit. And I just respect the man who went in and was like, hey, 
Quick Same. question for you. <laughs> no, I was I wondering. I, would, I think I would have done that too. Be I would have like, been like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> so, is it normal? <laughs> fun fact. I just think it's so funny. That is, no, because I was literally about to make a comment. I was like, imagine if you were standing outside the courthouse and you just saw someone go plop out the window and book it. <laughs> and book it. Like, I would be terrified. <laughs> Especially anyway. if it's someone, like, on, you knew that there was a trial going on for murder, I'd be like, oh, you'd be like, <gasps> <gasps> Anyway. Okay, so yeah, I just think that's really funny. So, at this point, Ted Bundy is out of the courthouse and he is running. He is gone. <laughs> in tapes later, he said, quote, while he was on the run, he kept chanting in his mind the m- mantra, quote, you must go, you must go, you must go. What the Don't fuck? hesitate, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. He just said he, like, kept saying that in his mind, and I'm like, that's, okay, so. He, like, gave himself mantras. Like, yeah, it's weird. He just, he kept saying that he was, he like, was, like hyping himself up. Yeah, for real. What That's even? exactly who he was saying. So, as soon as law enforcement found out about his escape from the amazing man who was standing outside, um, there was a really, really big manhunt, including roadblocks set up in Aspen. Yeah. So, everyone was looking for him, roadblocks, road checks, all of those things. Um, so Bendy, Bundy, excuse me, <laughs> went straight for the mountains, and he actually found an abandoned cabin in the woods where he slept and ate oh. for six days. Dang. So the last two nights of his absence, it had been relentless, harsh weather, rain, cold, snow, because this is Aspen, Colorado. Oh, of and course. It's gonna be the mountains. He and literally ran for the mountains. It's, yeah. So it was like really, really cold, snowing, raining, all of those things. Um, so he said he was like, these factors made me weak. He was like, I just, you know, I got really tired, guys. I wonder why. Maybe it's <laughs> hypothermia. So he was like, I, he was like, he said he was less aware. And he just like wandered back into Aspen on the seventh day of his disappearance. Literally hypothermia, Where Tess. he stole a car, oh. was beginning to drive out of Aspen, had made it past the town limits, turned around and came back. <laughs> and I'm like, sir, are you dumb? Like, I, obviously, I'm glad he came back so he could be caught again, yeah. but, like, that is stupid. Like, that if is, you want to escape, keep going. I think what must have happened is that the weather that he had been living in in that abandoned cabin, like, made him delirious. Yeah, something. Like, there's no way a man that was as smart as Ted Bundy, because he was smart. Like, yeah. he wasn't stupid. No. Would have, like, ter- taken a U-turn <laughs> and... <laughs> hey! Hey, guys, back. I'm back! And Sorry, so, I just had to take, like, a little vacation. So he was... Pulled over by an officer that was just suspicious of the vehicle. He thought it was driving weird. Um, like, hmm. And the officer didn't even recognize Ted for the majority of, like, him pulling him over. That's so um, weird. But eventually he did and arrested him and brought him back to the courthouse. Good. There's a reason he didn't recognize him. So let me talk about this. He was 25 pounds less than when he escaped. Oh? Which, that was My God. Week. 25 pounds lost in a week. No wonder Ted Bundy was like, yeah, I kind of felt, some, like, weird. weird. Yeah, because, like, that... Losing 25 pounds in a week is not healthy. That is not normal. No, like... That is, like... So he... Well, because I assume he didn't have, like, anything to eat up there. And he was also running a ton, so it was, like, a combination of all of that. Yeah, which is not healthy. No, so he was 25 pounds less than when he escaped and looked drastically different. Like, when I looked at this picture, it was really one of the first times that I was like, I would not have recognized him. Yeah. I was like, whoa. That he looks so different. Do you have that picture? Um, not pulled up, but... I'm sure you I'll look it it up. Uh, Yeah, so it was crazy. Um, So officers, after arresting him and bringing him back, were worried that he would be suicidal and, like, wanting to escape again now that he'd been recaptured. But apparently, he found the whole situation very comedic. (laughs) Uh, So he was just like, huh, that was funny. So he was, like, 
really proud of how long they, like, didn't find him for. He was, like, really yeah. proud that he had evaded capture for seven days. Um, and he kept saying he was smarter than all the authorities and, like, kept talking about all the stupidity of those who did get him. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he was just like, everyone else is stupid. I'm the smartest one here. And it's like, okay, bestie. Love you. No. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Don't love you, actually. Um, actually hate you. <laughs> with my entire soul. Yeah. So, eventually the preliminary trial was completed and the wait for the official trial began. Yeah. Um, on December 30th, 1977, during this wait, a guard brought food to Ted's cell and left it there as usual. Um, the next morning he came back and the food was uneaten and Ted appeared to be sleeping under blankets on his bed. Oh. Uh, when the guard pulled back the covers, however, he found a large pile of books where Ted was supposed to be. Oh. So this was, like, roughly six months after June to December. Dang. Um. They really- I'm sorry, but that gives, like, teenage girls sneaking out to go to a party. For real. Doesn't it? <laughs> like, like, let me stuff my bed so, so it looks like, like I'm sleeping so under like I'm the covers. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> no, it would- Stop. Yeah. So, and then the officer looked up and saw a carved square in the middle of the ceiling. That's so weird. Now, this, again, very unhealthy- Ted had starved himself down to less than 140 pounds. Oh my god. Carved the hole and lifted himself up through it. So he made it, he like starved himself so he was super small to like, you know, lose a ton of like, you know, necessary body weight. And I, what even? So he shrunk himself down to less than 140 pounds. Which for a man and, of Ted Bundy's like, height or for is his not his, healthy. Like, for his body size and just the way he was built, that's not healthy. Yeah, like like for someone his... else, sure, absolutely. Yeah, but for his average body weight, that was not good. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, it was interesting. That is so scary. <laughs> so, anyway, direct... wasn't the amount of like willpower to do that right? Like the yeah, it would crazy. So directly above his cell was the jailer's apartment, which he broke into and stole the jailer's clothes from. So he was like, he climbed up through this hole, the jailer's apartment was right above, grabbed the clothes, and then he walked out the front door. And no one stopped he him. He was walking, he walked in, he had the jailer's clothes on, he walked out the front door. Oh my Just god. Just walked out. How does a man not only jump out a window and book it without anyone stopping him, but, but walks out the, the front, front door? door. So oh he, just, he straight god. up walked out the front door. He was just like, I'm leaving. Didn't jump Goodbye. out of a window this time. But he was just like, actually, I think I'm going to leave now. He was like, bye. So, See you later. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So at this point, everyone was terrified and panicked because it was like he had gotten out again. And it's like, um, this man has murdered people. Yeah. So his previous victimized states went into a fear mode because they had no idea where he was. And oh, they were, yeah. A lot of them were worried that they would like he would come back. Oh, 100%. Um, so the FBI became officially involved and issued a federal arrest warrant on January 5th, 1978. Good. So, he became one of the top ten most wanted men, although at this point he was still only a convicted kidnapper. Oh! Like- Oh, that's right. So, he was still, like, he was only a convicted, attempted kidnapper. Kidnapper. Like, it wasn't even, like, a full kidnapping charge, which I think is really interesting. That is interesting. And it's Um, funny that he got away with everything for so long. Yeah, exactly. Like, at this point, it's just, yeah. Um... So, the problem with this time, however, was there was no widespread or generalized information because there was no central database, like the internet that we have now. Um, You know, you couldn't make an Instagram post and everyone knows that who to look out for and all those things. Yeah, exactly. So, Stephen McCaud, a journalist who ended up doing a lot of tapes with him later, 
said, quote, a quote that, like, stuck with me for some reason was, quote, Ted was just a legend in his own time zone. Oh, that is so... I don't know why that, like, hit me so hard. No, that hit me, too. I just, I, like, I heard him say that, I was like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why, but that was... Well, because all the states he was operating in, like, Utah, Colorado... Absolutely. Like, they're all in, like, mountain time. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm gonna walk you through the escape of, like, where he went. How he got out. So, according... To what he said later. He took a bus from Aspen to Denver, a flight from Denver to Chicago, oh, an Amtrak train to Ann Arbor, where he watched his alma mater, the University of Washington, oh. play the University of Michigan in the Rose Bowl. And no one- And apparently, like, got into a fight in a bar that he was watching it at. Oh. <laughs> okay. He, like, almost died from it, but- So that was funny. Um, spent that night in the sanctuary of a Methodist church. Oh. Uh, stole a car, drove to Atlanta, and took a bus to Tallahassee, Florida. And no one, (laughs) no one, like, saw- No one. Nothing. Oh, okay. So, Ted said he chose to stay in Florida, um, because it was extremely far removed from both Colorado, where he had previously been. Yeah. and, And, like, all of those, Colorado and all of the other states, and he said- he assumed those in Florida would be less likely to recognize him, which was true. That is very true. Um, like, he's not dumb No, for going he's, there. He, yeah. That was kind of a smart move. Is boo. Boo. We hate you. Yeah. Um, so, Ted chose to live in a hotel for the time being called the Oak Co-Ed Residence on campus of Florida State University, where he uh, used the name Chris. Not another college campus. <laughs> Ted Bundy. So, he even took one of the l- women living there at the Oak Co-Ed Residence, like, the hotel, on a date, on a dinner date. Uh, and later, they, like, interviewed her, and she was like, yeah, we, like, went on a date. And I was like, shut up. Like, like literally, girl. that is a serial killer. But he was, like, under uh, the name Chris, which is really interesting. That is interesting. So, now we're gonna fast forward. 16 days since he's been gone. Which, okay. if you think about it, it, was, like, way more than he had been before. Almost 10 days more. Which is, like, really terrifying, because imagine the amount of stuff he could have done in that time. Um, so now we're gonna get into some really, really gruesome stuff. Just, Ugh. like, researching the, like, this case for me was pretty difficult to get through. Yeah, I bet. Um, so everyone, trigger warning, sexual assault, gore, um, murder, breaking in. All pretty much things. all of the bad stuff. So yeah, here we go. Um, This is like a big chunk. In the early morning hours of January 15th, 1978, all was quiet at the Chi Omega sorority house on the campus of Florida State University. Suddenly, at approximately 3 a.m., a man carrying a heavy oak log he found outside barges into the house through the broken back lock, breaking into first the room of 21-year-old Margaret Bowman, asleep. Ted beat her so savagely on the right side of her head that pieces of her skull fragmented and impaled her brain. You Um, know what that reminds me of? hmm. Like, just that image reminds me of that one scene in Fear Street with Billy Barker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, thinking about that and the fact that that actually happened. It's, like, sickening. It's horrid. Um, He proceeded to sexually assault her and strangle her with a pantyhose, which he tended to do to a lot of his victims. Um, a first responder on the scene later testified to observing a puncture wound through the nipple of her right breast. Which, like, what thinking about that, like, gives me chills. Um, the lack of defensive wounds suggested that Margaret was killed or knocked out before she even woke up. Um, oh. which I'm glad that she didn't have to suffer much yeah. through that. Hopefully it wasn't very painful. But, but it's just yeah. sad. 
Um, so he then left her room and went down the hall to where 21-year-old Lisa Levy was sleeping. He beat, raped, and strangled her. Um, he broke her right collarbone completely and actually sexually assaulted her with a hairspray bottle, which is, like, That is no. horrendous. I know. He tended to do that a lot, too, with, like, objects he found, like, oh use those, which is, like, disgusting. Um, he actually repeatedly bit her body, including twice very hard on her left buttock. So, I will talk about that later. Yeah, that's I was about to say, that's, that's really important. So, keep note of that. Um, so one of these women, I, for some reason, every source I found had conflicting information on which one it was. Yeah. But one of these women had their nipple nearly torn off, apparently. Oh my god. But, like, every single source was conflicting. I could not figure out which one it was. Um, so if you know, please let me know, but that was the idea of that. Like, oh my god. Terrifying. And we're not this done is yet. literally horrific. This, this is, like, is, legitimately this, this, the definition of a massacre. Like, this is awful. This and we're not horrible. done yet. So, Bundy walked further down the hall and opened the door to roommates Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler. He attacked Kathy first after she woke up when he made a chirping noise over a trunk. So, he, like, went into the room, tripped over a trunk, and she woke up. Yeah. Um, he beat her face and head so aggressively that her jaw broke in three places and multiple of her teeth oh, fell out during baby. the attack. Um, he crossed the room to Karen and proceeded to beat her, resulting in, like, just the thought of this, a fractured jaw, a broken arm and finger, a fractured skull, and huge gashes and abrasions all over her face and body. Oh my god. Um, while in the process of attempting to kill Kathy and Karen, headlights flood the room. One of the sorority girls, Nita Neary, had just arrived back to the house from a date. Bundy immediately fled the room and ran out the front door, passing directly by Nita. Nita ran inside and began waking people up and questioning about the strange man she just saw run out of the house. That is... No one is aware of what just happened. Terrifying. So she just knows that a man just ran out of the house. That's all she knows. And so she goes in and she's like, hey guys, that was really weird. Some guy just ran out of this house. That was crazy. Um, I literally cannot fathom. So everyone, she began waking people up. People were freaking out. Um, About five minutes into this ordeal, Karen Chandler stumbled out from her room and told them to call the police. So she survived. Still inside the room was Kathy Kleiner, sitting cross-legged on her bed, mouth pouring blood, asking for her fiancé and her pastor. Both of them survived. Girl boss! (laughs) Oh could you imagine the moment that she walked out of that room, though? Everyone, they, like, testified later from people who were in the sorority. Everyone said, like, the room stopped. Because no one knew what had happened yet. Yeah. So she walked out, and they just assumed only her. Like, yeah. something had just happened to her. She walked out, and you can imagine, like, the scene. She had, like, a broken awe. Her, her, her jaw her, was broken. Her jaw was, like, hanging off the thing. Like, she was bleeding everywhere. And she just walked out, and she goes, call the police. That is, like, insane. It gives- I literally have chills right now. No, that is, like, the most horrifying scene. Like, I just- I can't even- And then, can you imagine the moments afterward where they have to- Like, they go back and they see Kathy also- I'll talk about that in just a second. So, yeah, Kathy Kleiner sitting inside. Um, later, Kathy Kleiner's jaw had to be re-broken in order to properly- Properly set and rewire it, and she said her jaw was re- Like, wired shut for a really long time. And it's like, oh, this poor girl- my jaw hurts. Right, like, <laughs> thinking guys. about that, it's terrifying. So, um, 
At this point, Lisa Levy was actually still alive. And one of her friends had to be forcibly pulled off of her oh, so she could no. be loaded onto an ambulance. Um, but unfortunately, she died on the way to the hospital. Um, That's wild. Her friend, the friend that went in there said that she thought that there had been a shooting. She thought that that's what had happened because of the amount of blood and what had happened to Lisa. She thought that, like, someone had shot from outside the house yeah. and had hit her. So she um, believed that's what would happen. That's what happened. She but had no idea. That, that was literally... That is And she said, like, horrible. instinct just took her to that room. Like, she don't know why. She didn't check any of the rooms. She just, like, went into Lisa's room and she was like, something happened to Lisa. That's like terrifying. I literally that's, have chills right no, now. That's, like this whole this whole scene, this whole part is like this chilling. Is the worst. I hate it. It's chilling. It's awful. Um so yeah, that again, that was really rough. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, no, that reading about this like terrifying uh, And it like breaks your heart. Yeah. So um after police arrived and began analyzing the horrific crime scene, Sheriff Ken Katsaras got a map a message on his walkie-talkie that neighbors were reporting hearing concerning and violent sounds from a duplex nearby the sorority house. No. An officer was sent over and found unconscious 21-year-old Cheryl Thomas, another Florida State University student, just six blocks away. Oh my god. Um, she suffered two fractures to her jaw, a dislocated shoulder, five skull fractures that actually left her permanently deaf in her left ear, and more. She also survived. Damn. Which is, like... These women who survived. Like... Holy shit. It's insane. And, like, just... I didn't know that he had left that crime scene only to attack another girl. Yeah. And, like, obviously he meant to leave all of them for dead. Like, he meant to kill all of them. And, like, it's just terrifying to think about. And the fact that this all happened because he was just allowed to walk out of the prison. Yep. So, um, in total, two women were killed and three were attacked but survived. That is horrific. It, like, I can't even think about it. It's insane. Um, so yeah. Moment to digest all of that. Yes. Thank you. That was, like, the roughest thing. Anyway. And now we can move on. So yeah. Um, police had no suspects and no one even guessed that Ted Bundy could have been involved because, again, this was in Florida and he had previously been exclusively in the West of the United States. Um, so no one, no one, like, No one thought about it. Um, but although they had no suspects, everyone was terrified still and Tallahassee residents were, like, or their stores began selling out of protective equipment and, like, security things and all of that stuff. So, yeah. All right. Um, take a moment to... Just digest all of that. So yeah, that's literally terrifying. So yeah, we are going to fast forward. Believe yeah, okay, we're gonna fast forward to February of 1978, which is just like a month later. Um, Ted checks into a motel in Lake City, Florida, on February 8th. The next day, February 9th, marked 40 days of Ted being missing. 40? 40. Jesus so Christ. he had been out of prison for 40 days, which is, like, crazy. So, on this day, February 9th, 12-year-old Kimberly Diane Leach walked across the basketball court of her junior high school and was coerced into Ted Bundy's stolen car, to which oh, a witness God. testified seeing. Um, again, kind of, as you can tell, trigger warning for minors. Yeah. Minor, um, 
yeah. involvement. Yeah. So, um, the search for Kimberly was huge with forestry workers, police, and over 75 straight state troopers looking for her. Like, everyone was looking yeah. for her. And Lake City, Florida was relatively a small town, too. So people were really involved in this case. Um, her body was not found for eight weeks. Uh-huh. Um, when the search finally yielded her body behind a tin shed in the woods, discarded near an abandoned pig pen. Uh, Which, like, she deserved so much She, better. yeah, no, she deserved um, way more. Um, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this quote makes me oh, cry. No. It's so, I'm gonna make you so upset right now. Literally. I'm not prepared. Okay, the man who said this is, like, the sweetest man I have ever seen. He was in the documentary I watched. So, the lead investigator from this case, George Deckel, recounted in the documentary, quote, I had not cried in my entire adult life. I hadn't cried since I was a teenager. I cried the day we found Kim Leach's body. That gave me chills. I know, it's so sad. That quote is like... That literally hurts my soul. I, like, it, I just can't even. And I, I, this poor girl and this poor the the family, family and the and community and like... Just everyone involved. <sighs> that was impacted by one man's actions. Absolutely. And that quote specifically, I was just like... No, that one I, like, hurts. literally speechless. It's... Oh, one, my God. I cried the day we found Kim Leach's body. No, I'm like, the thing... Like, Ted Bundy, everything that he has ever done mm-hmm. is horrific. Mm-hmm. But the amount of just, like, vile, mm-hmm. in like, intense crimes that happened in Florida specifically... Mm-hmm. Awful. Yeah. It's terrible. I... I um... Like, everything that he did and... Any other state was terrible, but just, like, the magnitude of what was allowed to happen in Florida because Absolutely. he escaped. Yeah. Um, I want to share a quote from Lisa Little, who is Kimberly's friend. Um, she said this in a 2019 article. I don't want people to focus on Ted Bundy, the monster that came to visit our lives for such a short time but had such a profound impact. I want everyone to remember the angel, Kimberly Leach, that was, that was with us, that shared her life with us, her smiles with us, her hopes and dreams with us. I would like for people to remember that she is who needs to be remembered and not him. Preach. Literally preach. Like, because that, that happens was... all the, the time, time where it's the serial killer's names above the victims. Absolutely. Should be the other way around. Yep. And I just, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes. But those, <gasps> those two quotes from that case, like, give me chills. Absolute, like, just like, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Five days after he brutally raped and murdered 12-year-old Kimberly Leach, he was relaxing on a beach in Pensacola, Florida. Motherfucker. Which is like, fuck you. You don't deserve. I, you don't deserve anything. Like, <laughs> much less relaxing on a beach in Pensacola, Florida. I, I literally, speechless. Like, can't even. The audacity. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. No. 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 <sighs> so, yeah. I just, that, like, that fact is like. That. Makes me want to, like, punch something. Someone. (laughs) Anything. Um, Uh. Yeah, so the next day, after 46 days of being out of custody, um, a police officer pulled Ted over after being suspicious of the vehicle again. So he really needs to to learn how to, like, get in check of his vehicle. He really needs to retake (laughs) some driver's ad right right now. Um, So when he was pulled over, Ted actually attempted to fight the officer, but was eventually arrested. He literally was just like, I'll throw hands right now. Yeah, he was like, I'll throw hands right now. Um, So the car was registered as a stolen car from the area near Florida State University. 
Of course. Um, in his possession was 21 stolen credit cards. Uh, many of which belonged to Florida State University co-eds. Which makes sense. <laughs> like, considering hmm. what he did. <laughs> and then he also had a stolen TV. Oh, uh, <laughs> casually. Why not? <laughs> you know, like... If you're gonna steal, steal a TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta go big or go home, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, again, he looked extremely different than when he escaped. This of was course. another one of those times that I was like, that's him. It what was, the fuck? Yeah. Um, very, very crazy. He's literally a shapeshifter, guys. Yeah. So it's he crazy. told police when he was arrested that he was 29-year-old Kenneth Meisner of Tallahassee and actually had ID cards to prove it. Kenneth? Kenneth Meisner was <laughs> his name, hell? he said. Um, and he was denied bond based on these charges. So, um, yeah. So the charges that he was about to be tried on were assault against an officer, um, and then also the stolen property of, you know, all of that. Yeah. Uh, car, cards, you know, exactly. TV. Um, so he was about to be tried on all of these charges when the real Kenneth Meiser, Meisner alerted police that it was not him that they had oh. in custody. So he basically called them up and was like, yo, I'm not in jail right now. I don't know who you have, but it's not me. Yeah. So they- Kenneth was really like, <laughs> you got the wrong bitch. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so especially because ID cards back then, I don't believe a lot of them had photos. Oh, really? They were, like, it was almost, like, a form, like, a form that you would, like, put into a typewriter and fill out. Oh, uh, that's a little sketchy. So, at least from the person that I saw explain it. Literally, ID so, cards today are so different. Like, so I ID have cards, one mine with me. Like, there, I'm sure there could have been a diff- couple that were different, but at least for this, that's what they accepted yeah. as an ID card. Um, so he finally identified himself in exchange for a phone call to his girlfriend, Liz. Oh. So, he was just like, fine, I'll tell you who I am if I can call someone. Now, this, this phone call is, like, it. You know, this is, if you're wondering what's it, it's this. So, he told her he was in custody in Florida and repeated, quote, that it was going to be bad when it broke. He just kept saying that to her. He was like, it's going to be bad when it breaks. It's going to be really bad. Imagine getting that call. Like, no. Yeah. So, she asked him if he was talking about the co-ed murders, and he said he wouldn't talk about that. He was just like, I won't talk about that. Uh. Because she knew that that had happened yeah. there. Um, he Imagine walked, what she was thinking. She for was real. like, oh shit. Because essentially they were still dating at this time, yeah. really. Um, he goes on to say that he wishes Liz and him could sit down and really talk with no oh, one listening shut about- shut the fuck up. So he said, I really, I wish we could sit down and really talk with no one listening about why he is the way he is, he said. Oh. She asked him if he was telling her that he was sick- and he yelled back off into the phone and became very defensive. Oh. So he was like, she was like, are you telling me that you're sick? And he was like, back off. That um, is... Okay, buddy. So, the next morning, he called again and told her that he was sick. Oh. He, he said, really switching up. So, he said, he, he claimed, or at least from what she said, that he was consumed by something he didn't understand. And Bullshit. And he was preoccupied with this force. Bullshit. And it's like, you know what you fucking did. You're it's ashamed not, of it. It's not some force. It's not... You won't fucking talk about it. It's not some devil that's, like, been inside you. It's fucking you and you know what you did. Like, but he was just like, this force inside me, I don't understand. Like, it's, and it's just driving me to do this. Like, shut up. Like, literally, so, no. Essentially, he, like, quote-unquote confessed, but not, like, legally confessed. Okay. Know? Um, Once police in Florida were aware of his identity, he was immediately suspected and indicted for the murders of Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy and the attempted murders of Karen Chandler, Kathy Kleiner, and Cheryl Thomas. Good. Which is, like, yes. Needed. 
So, yeah, so the Leon County Sheriff at the time, Ken Katsaris, which I talked about a little bit earlier, went to tell Bundy of his intentions to prosecute him. Note, I don't like him, really. The yeah. sheriff, um, he does some questionable stuff later, and I don't think he handled this case very well. Okay. Um, so, he... So this next quote that I'm about to say could be figmented from what he said. Okay. Uh, but I don't really like him. Obviously, don't like Ted Bundy a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, uh, but I just, there are levels of dislike here. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not really a fan of him. Um, Bundy supposedly told him, supposedly, supposedly, according to him, when he went to talk to him, when you find the person that committed these crimes that you think I committed, that person is going to be wanted for murders of women in the three digits in six states. Oh! And he held up his fingers in correspondence to the numbers that he said. That is so freaky. Which is like, if that's true, if that actually freaky. happened, so he would, no, he would like, you. I, he, this person's going to be wanted for murders of three women in six states. That is so. Or, Why did you hold up six like that? I don't know. I held up two threes. <laughs> she really went. She like showed a three, then she started to show, changed her she mind, and, and showed, showed two threes on each hand. <laughs> Girl, that was a choice that I made. Anyways, <laughs> it would be freaky, especially if he did it like that. Yes, if, I, if he did it with the two threes. Stop. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Anyway, so, this is kind of a very main reason why I don't like Ken Gazzaras. Okay. So, a public indictment was read in front of media and cameras and reporters, with both Bundy and Gazzaras present, on July 7th, 1978, which many criticized. Um, a lot of them called it a staged perp walk to make a show for Gazzaras' oh, yeah. sheriff re-election, because he was up for re-election for sheriff. Um, a reporter later called it a show that was, part, that was quote, part political theater, part crime drama. Which I yeah, I'm like, I'm I've glad seen... he. I'm glad he like got him, but also like I don't like this. Isn't guy. that the scene in Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile where yes. Ted Bundy like talks yep. to reporters too? Yeah, yes. no, that was stupid. Yep, that was so, idiotic. Yes. So Bundy was also placed under a gag order, meaning that he couldn't give statements or talk to the press or external. Good. Sources, which is like, don't let that bitch talk. Literally, shut him the fuck up. So now we're gonna get into a very big part. So. The media coverage around this case and the trial was huge. Like, I, oh, cannot, I, bet. I cannot emphasize enough how, like, phenomenal this was, essentially. So, interestingly, because of the frenzy, the judge allowed news cameras in the courtroom, making oh. it the first nationally televised trial in history. So, Ted Bundy's murder trial in Florida was the first nationally televised trial ever. That's... Okay. Like, other trials had been filmed, yeah, but this but, is, like, the, this is the first televised. televised. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when the pre-trial began on May 9th, 1979, news companies from all 50 states and nine foreign countries were in attendance to cover Dang. Just, just the pre-trial. Like. That's insane. Again, like, I cannot emphasize how, like, this was huge. So now, Ted Bundy wasn't isolated to one time zone. He, his face was no, everywhere. everywhere. His name was everywhere. Yep. He was no longer in one time zone. Um, so Ted was given a public defense team, defense team. Um, it was a large, there was a largely diverse jury and the presiding judge was Judge Edward D. Cowart, just for like okay. background. Um, the prosecution offered a plea deal to Bundy, which was made on the grounds that if he pled guilty to the charges, he would receive a life sentence rather than the death penalty. So essentially if he pled guilty, they'd be like, he can just spend his life in prison and we don't have to talk about the We don't, about the we're death not going to put him to death. Yes. Yeah. 
So, um, Ted actually told his lawyers and the prosecution that he would agree to this plea deal. And on June 1st, they went into the courtroom with Ted prepared to make the guilty statement. I know what's about to happen, <laughs> but I can't say shit. He was called up to discuss this matter, but instead of pleading guilty in agreement with the deal, he made a speech about the ineffectiveness in his counsel and restated his innocence. Yep. So he was basically like, all my counsel is dumb bitches and... I'm innocent as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's literally what he, what he did. That's literally it's what he did. Horrible. So he was basically like, "Oh, definitely, I'll plead guilty." That's like, good. yes, I feel bad. I don't want to die. Sounds good, guys. I'll do that. And then he immediately went up there and was like, Fuck "Never all of mind. You. Yeah. Actually, I think you're all dumb. Yeah, and that's I'm cool. Exactly what he did. So yeah, um, dumbass bitch. Anyway, Hate so him. somehow he was permitted to become co-counsel on his own defense team again. <laughs> Who um, thought, after he jumped out the window, that es- that would be a good idea? Especially in a double murder trial and, like, other attempted murder charges, this was unheard of. Because he wasn't a licensed lawyer. No! Like, he had been in law school, but he hadn't graduated. He hadn't gotten a license. He was not a lawyer. The... It, it's... And also, like, what happened what? last time when we put him on co-counsel? <laughs> Let's it's think... feel like maybe he jumped out a window and escaped? I what? Know. I feel like maybe that happened last time. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think maybe that just slipped my mind. <laughs> somehow. I don't know. <sighs> so, yeah. Again, somehow. Stupid decision. Yeah. Um, And his arrogance really began kicking in. He oh, had, like, 100%. He could, everyone could start seeing it. Uh, he thought he was the shit. He is not the shit. <laughs> I, I love the note that I wrote on this, but I'll read it first. So, <laughs> okay. at some point before the trial began, Ke- Sheriff Ken Katsaris took Ted to a dentist to make casts of his teeth, which are very relevant yes. later. Take note. That um, is important. And then the note I wrote here was, also used unnecessary force here. Like, ugh, shady. <laughs> <laughs> like, ugh, that was my, shady. That was my quote for that, apparently. Love that for you. Um, the real trial began on July 1st, 1979. Uh, again, a note, I think the way this tra- trial was handled by both the prosecution, defense, and ruling parties was very poorly done, and you'll see yeah. why. So, although I'm glad th- I understand why uh, the trial turned out the way it did, I don't think that they handled this very well. Yeah. Um. So, he received a fourth lawyer, which was actually a woman, which I oh, thought was interesting. Especially given his crime. Yeah. That's so weird. She, yeah, so she was on his defense team, just a little... Imagine thing. being a woman on Ted Bundy's, Bundy's defense, defense team. team. Yeah. So, that's a little interesting thing. Um, the defense team was prepared to take the position that Ch- Ted was incompetent to stand trial, arguing that he didn't understand the proceedings against him. Which Bullshit. Is a pre- which is a pretty common thing to argue, though. It is very common to argue, but... In this case, it's Bullshit. very clear that he fucking knew what he yeah, was doing. Like literally, that man did not absolutely knew. So oh a competency God. hearing was held, which he passed and was ruled competent to stand trial. Woo. Oh, of course. So yeah, it was like obviously the guy was like, yeah, he knows what's happening. So somehow, somehow, oh God, Ted was allowed to become head of his defense team, Who? making him a leader in all trial proceedings for the defense. Literally. Who allowed that to happen, is my Who question. Who heard him fuck? be like, can I be in charge? And they were like, yes, double murder, yes. Anyways. Okay, so. Moving on. Yeah, that was a stupid decision. So throughout the trial, we're about to get really mad at Ted right now. Oh, this God. Bitch. So, Ted filed unnecessary and irrelevant personal gain motions to the court, consisting of, but not limited to, increased outdoor exercise, more access to the law library, more conference periods, the use of a typewriter, and, my favorite, even a change of menu, complaining that he'd eaten the same grilled cheese sandwich for lunch every day and needed something different. 
Of course, Ted. So that was the- Of course. <laughs> like, we'll provide all of that for you. Yes. Like, he filed an official Bitch. motion to the court to be like, I need a different lunch. And it's like, Stop. shut up. it's like, shut up. Literally, you're on trial for murder and you have multiple other, like, murder, murder charges. Like, you deserve no good food. No. No good food. You can just have, like, an IV that feeds you nutrients yeah, for all I care. exactly. Like, like can you. we give you the crumbs of our, like, can we give you our leftovers that are sorry, rotting in the garbage? let me fix you a five-star gourmet meal. Like, shut like, up. Like, shut up, Ted Bundy. For real. Anyway. Like, I, would, I wouldn't even give you grilled cheese, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> no grilled cheese for you. Anyway. So, at one point near the end of the trial, Ted stuffed wet toilet paper into the lock of his cell to sabotage the lock and refused to go to the trial on time. Oh! And, like, walked in late when a person came and, like, told him, you have to go right now. And he, when he did arrive, protested against the conditions of the Dade County Jail. Oh, the conditions are bad. Oh, <laughs> so, he trial like, for so he, like, came up, like, he, like, showed up ten minutes later than it was supposed to start. And the judge, so the judge told him to show up in kind of a scolding manner. Yeah. But they end the ad- interaction by joking with each other and other lawyers and the judge saying, bless your heart. Like, Ew. It was weird, because watching that clip, it was, like, disturbing how comfortable they all were. Like, they were all joking around, and, like... This like, is a murder trial. Like, the judge was like, hey, by the way, like, really, we won't tolerate this anymore. Like, you need to come in on time. But anyway, ha ha ha, and, like, this is funny. Like, it was weird. It was really, like, not a I don't time. like that. Um, Please stop. Anyway, so, well, now we're gonna get into kind of the court proceedings and a lot of the important things. Ooh, this is here we go. This is our jam. So... Raymond Crew, a first responder to the Chi Omega crime scene, was put on the witness stand and was actually cross-examined by Bundy. That would be... He was allowed to cross-examine a key witness. How? I... How was he allowed to do that? I'm literally... He wasn't a lawyer. He was the defendant. He was the defendant cross-examining the prosecution's witness. I am literally speechless. Like, I don't understand how that happened. Also... Imagine knowing that the man who's cross-examining you was responsible for that scene that you responded to. Yep. For responding to the horrific scene that you had to That was Chi Omega. That you had to investigate. Like, no. Absolutely So I'm just- Sit the fuck down. Like, you don't fucking get to say a shit. So, I watched the clip that was, again, nationally televised. All All of this is available to watch. So- it is the most bizarre, most awkward, most odd, most unnecessary cross-examination I've ever witnessed. So he continually asked Crew to describe what he had seen, went in circles asking the same thing. Can you can you say, like, you know, uh, where you went in, what you saw when you first walked in? Can you say what you saw when you first walked in? Can you say what you first saw when you walked in the first room? What did you do when you were in the first room? He would just say... The same what things. The hell? What it's, did you see? Okay, that's creepy to me because it's almost as if he's trying to relive it. That's what a lot of people said. Yep. So, obviously appearing to many as if he was reliving the crimes in gruesome detail. So, he would ask him, what did you see on the body? What oh, did you see? God. What did you do when you pulled back the cover? What did you see? What did you do when you first walked in the house? He just kept asking I the same things. That. And multiple times the prosecution, like, objected and was like, hey, he asked that before. Like, objection, repetition. Yeah. The judge was like, all right, ask a different question. And then he just wouldn't. Like, it it was the most uncomfortable thing I have ever watched. They it should have so had him weird. sit down. It was so weird. So, overall, a complete mess. It was really bad. Yeah. 
Um, another witness provided by the prosecution was Nita Neary, the woman who had arrived at the sorority house late and scared Ted off. So she had seen him, like, run by her. So she positively identified Ted as the man she had seen run past her and cooperated Good. to make a police sketch. So, um, I will say it didn't really look like him. It was essentially just a guy with a mask over the top half of his face carrying a log. Oh, yeah. Like, it really could have been anyone. Like, But. <laughs> but I do believe that it was the man that, like. I do believe yeah. Ted was the man she saw, but I just think that the picture is kind of, like... It's not great. Yeah, it's like, not really. evidence not really there. Yeah. Um, Which is... It's yeah. good that there was more evidence against him than just that. Yeah. So, Robert Haggard, one of Ted's lawyers, executed a very well-done cross-examination on Nita, um, which, you know, obviously yeah. you don't want them to win that, but, like, it was very well done, and he did which a good Which is job. good, because you don't want Ted standing <laughs> up there reliving his crimes exactly. for the time. Like... Obviously, we don't want him to win that, like, court case, but he yeah. did a very good job on the cross-examination, so. Like, but it's his job, so you yeah. can't really blame him. Immediately after, immediately after he did that really well-done cross-examination, Ted tried to fire him in open court. Immediately, like, immediately after he did a really good job, he was just like, no. Ted, <laughs> do you want to go to jail, buddy? Like, for real. Like, like, you're just was, complaining about He was about just self-sabotaging. Anything he could do, he did in favor of the prosecution, really. That's like, he so never, funny. never favored the defense. Um, so, interestingly, we're about to, we're about to get into something. Oh, I, I can feel excited. you're about, you're about to go off after okay. I say something. Oh, so, dear God. Interestingly, throughout the trial, the spectators were made up of mostly women. The female lawyer on Ted's team... I know what you're about to say. <laughs> Guys. The female lawyer on Ted's team, Margaret Good, said she was often passed notes by these women and asked to give them to Ted. Delaney's putting her hair up right now. <laughs> Delaney started aggressively putting her hair in a ponytail. <laughs> Just to get ready. Continue. So the, her fe- his female lawyer would say that women would pass him notes and be like, hey, can you give that to Ted for me? Shut up. So. <clears throat> okay, here we go. There's more. There's more. Many of these women were interviewed during the ongoing trial with statements such as, I feel bad for him, I like him, etc. Um, <laughs> hold I, on, hold on! Speak. One appalling statement that was legitimately made by a woman attending the trial was, like, the amount of disrespect that I feel from this thing to victims. I'm about to, like... Every time he turns around, I get that feeling like, oh no, he's gonna get me next. This same woman later said in the statement that she was just fascinated by him. I... Guys. 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 I... This infuriates me. It's it's so bad. I, like, can't speak. Because it's so bad. Like, the sexualization and admiration of serial killers, especially male serial killers, is ridiculous. Horrible. Because... Disrespectful. Disgust. Like, they're... Me and Savannah no. had an entire, like, I don't even know how long it was. We had a whole conversation about the, have you guys seen, like, the TikTok videos where people make edits of mm-hmm. Ted Bundy during his trial? It's like, that is And they're like, he's so hot, I'd let him kill he's me. He's so, he's so hot, I wish he did that to me, like, shut up. Like, shut the That's fuck up. so that not okay. so disrespectful. And just the fact that this one was like, oh no, he's gonna get me next, in like a mocking tone, like, how disrespectful is that to the victims and their families? And the fact that they were taking up seats in that courtroom with the families of the victims. victims absolutely. And are passing notes around, like, literal middle school children. Like, ha ha ha, t- pass this one to Ted! Like, <laughs> give him, give me, <laughs> give, give me, me his number! Like, you gotta, <laughs> tell me I like him! Like, give me a snap! <laughs> no. Sh- 
shut the fuck up. It was disgusting. And it doesn't just happen with Ted Bundy. No. It happens with Richard Ramirez. Ramirez. It happens Jeffrey Dahmer. Yep. Like, it happens so with many people. It happens Any with man who unidentified has... killers. Exactly. It's like, what the fuck? Like, people you don't, like, people are conventionally attractive, sure, but, like, no. Like, like Savannah there's... and I even talk about it in media. Like, like, we talk about Sebastian Stan and his performance in Fresh, Fresh, and about how he is an attractive man, but when he is playing, playing a killer, killer, we don't no. need to, like, sexualize that killer. Yes. Like, like, we'll watch edits of, like, the movies, movies. and media that we consume, but that when it comes to edits about Fresh, the ones that are, like, first edits of Sebastian, Sebastian Stan, Stan as the killer, no. Like, Sebastian Stan is a very attractive man. But we don't need to sexualize the serial killer that he portrayed. Yeah. Like, that's not... And so when it comes down and to like the And, like, Zac Efron in Extremely Wicked, Shocking, Evil, and Vile. Yep. Zac Efron is a very extreme... Like, an attractive man. But when we, he is portraying Ted, Ted Bundy... Bundy. No. 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 Absolutely not. Sorry. That was... We feel very passionate about we, that. That's one of our big things. I literally am working on an... I, like, I have had time this mm-hmm. summer, but I'm literally working on an art piece that's centralized around the glorification and sexualization of serial killers. And the subject is Ted Bundy. Because, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So, yeah. <clears throat> I apologize for the little rant. I can take my hair down now. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for the rant. But was, it's important. It's, yeah, it's, it's really... And it's so prevalent in this mm-hmm. case. Yeah, especially in this case and at the time. Okay. okay, moving on. You're about to get mad again, though. Oh, not like oh, as mad, but. Okay. <laughs> okay. However, a woman named Carol Boone, oh, who you God. might Carol Ann Boone, who you might remember from part two, a previous friend slash lover of Ted, consistently attended the trial and made statements to the media on his behalf, campaigning for his innocence. Woo. So because he was under a gag order, like he couldn't say anything, but she could. So she was basically his voice. Yeah, pretty it, much. Mm-mm. So. Preferred to be, she preferred to be known as his, quote, close personal friend to the public. Close personal friend. <laughs> Friends called with benefits? Him, for real. So, he, she called him her bunny, which is like, Bleh! gross. No, ma'am. Disgusting. Uh, uh. <laughs> so nasty. No. So, I, okay, the amount of hatred I have for Carol Ann Boone. Mm-hmm. For real. Mm-hmm. So, she was allowed to visit him a couple of times in jail during the trial, which I'm like, no. No, thank you. So, um, all right. This is very important. We're about to get into the bite mark evidence. Whoo! As you'll remember, we have talked a couple of couple of things you need to take mental note of. This is what we'll be talking about them. Now that's when you call on those mental yes, notes. Yes, now you bring the mental notes to the front. So, the prosecution called forensic odontologist Dr. Richard Suveron to the stand to as a witness. They had submitted the casts of Ted's teeth to him, and he had professionally analyzed the bite mark pattern on Lisa Levy's buttocks. He compared these two pieces of evidence and came to the conclusion that the teeth from the cast had made the marks on her skin because he could he could detect an identical crooked pattern. At the time and for the jury, this evidence was huge and basically made the prosecution's case. Yep. So this was like the thing. Like this was the evidence. Every, yeah. Like you could see, everyone said like you could see the jury change when they brought this out. And they also made a huge show of it. Like, they, like, brought out, like, billboard or not billboards, but, like, Like posters posters and, like, made a whole presentation. So. Which is good, because that is the thing that basically pinned him to these crimes. But this is something that's very interesting to me. So I was like, great, get him on that bite mark evidence, whatever. So, although influential at this time, this type of evidence, referred to as tool mark evidence, is almost exclusively discounted in the present and is considered junk science, basically. 
For real? Yes. So, it was, like, basically now, people are like, that is, there's no way you could ever convict someone on an evidence, like, a piece of evidence like that. Oh my god. Which is, like, I found that out and I was like, whoa. So, based, although that made the prosecution's case, it didn't matter, really. Like, if it was being held now, that wouldn't have mattered because it's really not useful. There, like, uh, I think one of the lawyers said, there is no possible way to identify an individual based on the probable teeth pattern they would make on someone's skin. That's insane. Wait, so, like, it's... Uh, so, I'm, like, I'm so glad that that trial was held then and not now. So, because... like, I'm... There's no doubt in my mind that he did commit these crimes. Oh, 100%. Crimes, but, again, I think the prosecution and the defense both handled this case really, really poorly. Yeah, because, like, that is a ridiculous piece of edi- evidence, evidence when you think about it. Yeah. And especially how it's considered now. Um, so... I think that the prosecution, I with the way the crime was handled, I think that they definitely could have found DNA. Yeah. Evidence. Um, so, ultimately, I like, don't... Like, the bite mark literally probably had DNA. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> like, okay. Think about it. Like, okay. Yeah. So, no, I'm mad. <laughs> ultimately, I don't think this type of evidence should be taken seriously in court cases. Yeah. And although I think Ted's teeth definitely made those bite marks, its influence at the time was un- unnecessary and non-reliable. Yeah. So, although I do believe he did make those bite marks, I don't think that that should have been used as the main evidence. Just because, you know. Because it could have gone poorly. Yes. So, um, the final arguments in this trial were made on July 24th, 1979. The jury deliberated for six and a half hours, which was relatively short, actually. No, for that trial, that's really short. that's... Because jury deliberations can go on for, like, days. Yeah. Like, um, Like, that's pretty quick. So, officially, Ted Bundy was found guilty on all seven indicted charges, including two of first-degree murder and three of attempted murder. (laughs) Woo! So. Love that. Thank goodness. Slay! Got him. So, while this verdict was being read, Ted had Ted had absolutely no emotion or reaction on his face. Nothing. That is so eerie. like he didn't even blink when they said the word guilty. He just like he was just like well like Straight nothing face. nothing. Yeah. Um. So they eventually had a sentencing trial to determine whether he would be sentenced to life in prison or the death penalty. Um. Ted's mother Louise, still believing in his innocence, testified in favor of her son and pleaded against the death penalty. Ugh. Um, this is a quote from her test or oh. her, uh, testimony. Yes. Yeah. Testimony. testimony. Thank you. I was like trying to figure out the Testify, way to say that. testimony. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> My Christian upbringing tells me that to take another's life under any circumstance is wrong. And I don't believe that the state of Florida is above <laughs> the laws of God. And Bitch. it's like, your son took so many fucking lives. <laughs> like, like girl, the death, the, the, the the dots are not connecting. <laughs> so, quick note, the death penalty, especially in modern t- today's modern society, is really controversial. Yeah. And I think getting people off of death row is really important. Me it's too. something that Me I'm too. passionate about. I don't believe that Ted Bundy deserved to live. But. That doesn't, I, again, I don't believe the death penalty should be used anymore, but he did not deserve to live. Yeah. That is no. what I will say about that. Because the magnitude of his crimes and the amount of, like, like, he didn't show remorse. I was no. trying to figure out a word for Like, that, but... I really think... But the, the lack of remorse. The way the death penalty is handled, especially in the United States, I don't think it should be yeah. a possibility. Like, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. But in this case... Ted Bundy, he makes me so mad. Like, I would kill him with my bare hands. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, obviously, death penalty is inhumane. 
I would kill that man with my bare hands. <laughs> Just, yeah. That's my general statement and about also, that. And also, the fact that his mom had the audacity to come up there and be like, Christianity mm-hmm. says not to kill people. It's like, then tell your son that. <laughs> like, so tell your son to not kill my son who's killed multiple women and brutally attacked Exactly. Others. Like, again, don't agree with the death penalty. But. But. Uh, like his mom makes me mad. I'm sorry yeah. because I like talk- I'm Christian and that made me so mad. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's such a weird thing to say. So, the court ultimately ruled that Teth be given the death penalty. Ted. Teth. 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 Um, to be given the death penalty to be executed by method of the electric chair. So, like again, no death penalty, but like you know, I would- in this case, it's it's. Just- it's difficult to, like, it's, communicate yeah, how we exactly. feel about that. But, yeah. like, in Hopefully this, you guys understand what we're trying to say. I feel like with Ted Bundy, you just kind of know. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Edward D. Cowart said to Ted at the end of the trial, quote, you're a bright young man. You'd have made a good lawyer. I would have loved to have you practice in front of me. This but you went another way, partner. That quote makes me so mad. I'm like, shut up. I've heard that quote before. It makes me want to punch the judge. For real. I'm like, shut the hell up. Yeah. He didn't go another way. He murdered he people. He murdered people. That, there's a difference. Guys. Okay. So now, that's like the most well-known trial, but there's another one. In November of 1980, Ted went on trial for the murder of 12-year-old Kimberly Leach. Good. Which is like, yes, get him, get that bitch. So, the evidence against him was piled up quickly and included, quote, or not quote, but, you know, <laughs> it included <laughs> a witness seeing him lead her into a white van outside the school. A blood stain in Bundy's stolen car that matched the blood type of Kim Leach. Fibers from her clothing in the van. Fibers of Bundy's clothes on her clothes. And shoe tracks. And it's like, obviously. Obviously it is. Obviously. That's very Like, compared to the bite mark evidence, that's fucking evidence. That's evidence. evidence. That's evidence. The prosecution did it right. That's like, that's correct, you know? Yeah. No. Okay, Kimberly Leach has always been interesting to me because it shows the level of like de-evolution I yeah had. like you just like finish it off with like like he was gruesome. really erratic yeah. and really gruesome and he really like he didn't clean up yeah at all. it's yeah which like thank god so yeah it shows a good like evolution or de-evolution as yeah. you said um ted again pled not guilty because because he's way- a dick yeah um, throughout the whole trial, the defense only called- Jesus Christ, not again! <laughs> Guys. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but in the Diatoth Pass incident episode, um, my brother appeared in a window, and it scared me really, really bad, and the same thing just happened, but with my sister. <laughs> <laughs> no, because she's so short, it was just her face it was in so... the window. It was terrifying. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, okay. Ooh, okay. Recovered from that. Good little adrenaline rush. Guys, my heart literally, like, <laughs> skipped a beat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Alright. Anyway, So, this is wild. You ready? This bitch. Okay. Oh. Throughout the whole trial, the defense only called one witness. Uh, Can you guess who it was? I'm gonna... No. The one witness was Carol Ann motherfucking Boone. She was supposedly there to testify about Ted's character. I know what's about to happen. <laughs> so she I was remembered. Like, she was suppo- putting up hair again. Yeah. She was supposedly there to be like, oh, he's such a nice guy, you would never do this, all of that stuff. Shut the fuck. So that's what she was supposedly there for. While she was on the stand, and Ted was again somehow allowed to cross-examine her, this Guys. was a real conversation that happened. 
the way I'm going to format this is I'm going to have us both read lines. Because I don't... <laughs> so, I'm so excited for this. Who do you want to play right now? Which one? I don't know. <laughs> They're both so bad. I'll be... Um... Ted. Okay. So, okay. I have it scripted out like this. Okay. So, I'm Ted. Delaney is Carol. Okay? And we're gonna script out the real transcripted conversation that they had on court. This is not us paraphrasing. This is legitimately what they said. I watched it in a video. Guys, it's so upsetting. Okay, I've also seen those conversations. Okay, I'm Ted. Carol, do you want to marry me? Yes. And I want to marry you? Yes. And I do want to marry you. Yes. You said you did. So during this whole time, Carol was, like, giggling and being like, yeah, you said you did. <laughs> like, yes. Like, uh, now, <laughs> this charade was actually to constitute a legal marriage. As in Florida, a properly phrased de- declaration in the present of presence of court officials can do this. So that was them getting married in the middle of his fucking murder trial. He's on murder. Or he's... <laughs> He's on murder. He's on trial for the murder and rape of a 12-year-old girl. And he gets married on the court floor. It's infuriating. Now, a little bit of joy for this. This didn't actually work because they didn't phrase it properly. Thank God. But they did get legally married later. Yeah. So, technically it didn't work, but that was, like, supposedly what had happened. Um, And one of the... Uh, George Deckel, again, that same guy, yeah. said it was, like, a charade to make them feel bad for him, like, the jury. Yeah. Because uh, it was, like, a, oh, you can't convict me on my wedding day. Yeah, you know, exactly. like, it was a, I just got married, you can't sentence like, me, like... Like, look at my beautiful, beautiful wife. Exactly. You can't do that to her, you can't take me anyway. away. Exactly. So, the closing arguments for this trial were supposedly what sold the jury, as Ted himself carried out his own ending statement. I... In this statement... He compared himself to Jesus in front of the jury. Guys, do you have that quote? I don't, I no. don't, no, but I, like, Because I've himself. heard that quote, and it literally, that... And I'm like, bitch, what are you talking about? Like, it just gets to a point where it's like, what is happening? It's like, you see Jesus and you think, yes, me, me the murderer. Me, him. <laughs> we are the same. He just, like, in front of the jury in the closing statement, he was like, me and Jesus, he, we homies, like, we the same. Basically, <laughs> what he said, he's like, just as Jesus was wrongly hung on the cross, is I Is that what he me- said? Yeah. Oh my god. Like, did you not know I that? I didn't know that part. Because the context of it is he's basically comparing how Jesus was wrongly <laughs> killed to how he's just being wrongly one. prosecuted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, this bitch. That guy. Oh my god. Yeah. Can you imagine going up there and straight face saying that? I would... <laughs> if I were the judge, I would have laughed. I would have laughed in Just his face. Whole I would have been like, do you want to go read the Bible with me? <laughs> Thou shalt not kill. It's <laughs> just so funny. It's I'm so like, bad, okay, guys. bestie, slay. <laughs> but don't. But don't. Please. I hate you. Slay, but don't. Okay, so he was found guilty and actually received a second death penalty. Thank God. So, like, he was gonna be executed. Like, like he's dying no matter what. Even if he comes back to life, he's dead. <laughs> no, he's dead. So, during the announcement of the verdict this time, his reaction was very different. As he yelled to the court, Tell the jury they were wrong! And attempted to physically interfere with the guard restraining him. Which is so weird. So, like, before the first one, no reaction. This one, he got physically and verbally aggressive. I think, maybe, 
the difference in that reaction is that the murders that happened at the sorority house were committed on, like, adults. Yeah. And this trial, him being given a guilty verdict on a 12-year-old girl means that in prison, he's going to be treated like shit. Yeah. And I think that's why he was trying to be like, I mean, this is not me. Like, shut up. Because he was trying to save himself. Yeah, And that's bullshit. So, yeah. All right. We're getting kind of close to the end. Um, Bundy was officially held in Florida State Prison, and now we're going to talk about what went on during his life in prison before his death. This... Prepare yourself. Oh, God. I, like, died. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You ready? So, uh, not this one sentence, but the next. So, after being sentenced, he got really into weed and hallucinatory drugs. Hello. You know, just, that was was his vibe now. Um, Himself stating that he likes to hallucinate and didn't want mild drug experiences. So, he was like, I'm going to take drugs and it's going to be hardcore. Like, Like, I am a drug addict. That's it. He straight up said it. Hello. And I was like, okay, bestie. (laughs) So... He didn't want mild drug experiences. Now, here we go. Carol Ann, his now legal wife, oh God. would visit him in prison and smuggle drugs in vaginally to him. <laughs> now I'm not done! You're not done! Ted would take the drugs to his cell back rectally. So she brought him drugs and he brought them back to his cell. <laughs> when I found that out, I was like, what? How did neither of them get whole disease? Like, what? no. Oh my god. If you're gonna smuggle drugs in, don't do it like that. Jesus. Like, I just, I can't even. It's so bad. That is. But yeah, that's something I found out. I literally cannot speak. <laughs> that is horrid. Getting more into their no. relationship. This is no, <laughs> not more of them. I want to be I, done. I now. put it all in one thing so we don't have to talk Thank about God. that. Thank God. Okay, Ted and Carol were permitted to have sex in the prison by guards multiple times. Who? Multiple times. What? Who? <laughs> yes, you're in prison for murder. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Have Carol sex. Carol later saying that they didn't really care and even walked in on them a couple of times. Oh. So the guards were just like, whatever. Like what? The, what the fuck? Just do it. So the guards walk in and be like, oh, sorry, guys. I saw one like, scene walk- extremely like, shockingly <laughs> yeah. evil and vile. Like, it's mm. ridiculous. It is so, horrible. Um, yeah. Blech. More about them and then we'll be done. So, <laughs> then we're done, guys. <laughs> in 1981, Carol became pregnant with a daughter named Rose Bundy, fathered by Ted, and gave birth to her in 1982. It's wild. So she, Ted had a child on death row with Carolyn. Had a whole child. What? Had a whole child. Had a whole daughter. Like, Like, can you... bloodline is continuing. Like, you had a daughter after you killed so many many women. And you're, like, I just, I, no. Like, I cannot. So, yeah. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Mm -mm. So, yeah. Ted loved the attention this got and the publicity it gave him. Oh, I'm sure. He, like, loved this little family and he loved that, like, people were talking about how he had a kid on death row and, like, all of that stuff. He was obsessed with it. 
So in the 80s, a journalist named Stephen McCod, which I talked about earlier, was given the opportunity to talk to Ted and recorded roughly 100 hours of conversation which between them. Which is insane. Now I need to go watch, watch that documentary yeah, because she wouldn't I, let me watch it until, until we're yeah. done. Um, so during these talks, Ted would evade questions about the crimes or his involvement, preferring to talk about his childhood and his own accomplishments. And which is like, I'm so cool. Like, that's so narcissistic. Shut the hell up. Literally, he even bragged about the first time he got laid. Like, he would, like, he talked about that. He, uh, like, bragged about it. He's like, no. Yeah. I even got You're laid done. that time. Like, that was the first time I got Stop. laid. And I was like, shut up. Literally, shut up. No one cares. Like, no one cares. Like, please go away. No one cares. No one. So, eventually, McCod asked Ted to describe the type of person who could have committed these crimes. And he immediately began describing in detail what, quote, could have happened or why this person could have done this. Because he still won't admit that it's so him. So, it was extremely obvious that he was talking about himself and his own experience with these crimes. Yeah. But he wasn't saying anything that was legally implicating. Because so he was like be stupid. He probably did this, and it was like, 100%, we know that you did that, but he's just not saying it, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, in 1984, Ted was selected to be part of a study by the FBI as a means to learn more about serial killers. Yes. <laughs> He agreed to help with the study, although because he was still pretending to be innocent, he agreed to help from his psychology degree angle rather than a serial killer angle. So oh. he was like, I'll help you guys because I have a degree in psychology, not because I killed all those people. Uh, like, no. Ted, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me. He would help profile unsolved cases and told agents what he thought happened, what he assumed the perpetrator did, why the perpetrator did it, and what the police should do in response. That is so And he was, like, weird. really good at it, they said. Ew! And I'm like, no, 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 thank you, no, thank Imagine you. Imagine having your, like, cold case solved by Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Literally. Mm-mm. So, yeah. Um, in 1986, Ted was actually scheduled to be executed. Lawyers were appointed to appeal and delay his execution. Um, they argued that Ted had an unfair trial, inadequate representation, i.e. Ted himself was co-counsel, which I think was funny that they were like, he had inadequate representation because he He was the representation, and I'm like, that's kind of funny. Um, but also, again, the incompetency angle. Yeah. Um, they had a second competency trial in which a psychiatrist analyzed him. The psychiatrist actually believed that he had manic depressive bipolar disorder, Uh, and also suggested that he had another unnamed disorder that caused a lack of empathy. Oh, interesting. So, apparently a lot of people later would say that, like, probably manic depressive bipolar. Yeah. Like, or something that caused lack of empathy or some combination or something like that. But that, um, that psychiatrist believed that angle. Um, they actually won a 24-hour stay of execution and then multiple other stays and appeals for the next three years. Oh, nice. Uh, Well, not nice. Oh. Wait, oh, <laughs> I got so distracted for like two seconds and I was just reacting. Sweet! <laughs> Not nice. Sorry. So yeah. <laughs> like, okay, every so often my brain does this thing. You just act, you just Where respond. I just like, I drift and then I just respond and then I like, I snap back to it and that was the wrong moment <laughs> that for that. That was the wrong moment for that. Anyway. I okay. feel bad. <laughs> it's okay. Anyway. In 1989, the appeals and stay requests were beginning to be rejected. Good. And Ted was scheduled to be executed on January 24th. See, that, that's what I say. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's better. Okay. There we are. In the last couple days before his execution, he began confessing. He did this in order to be awarded another stay of execution. Oh, 100%. He was just like, if I start confessing, then they'll they kill me for until we are. Yeah. Um, he formally confessed to over 30 murders oh, in California, Jesus. Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, 
Colorado, and Florida between 1973 and 1978. Um, quick note, many of those victims are unknown slash Jane Doe's. So, Which is so, so sad. So not a ton are confirmed, um, but he did say that he killed them. Roughly over yeah. 30, he said. Uh, oh, of these victims, he estimated that he decapitated roughly half a dozen of them. No. Like, that's what he, he was like, I'm probably around that number. I don't know. Uh, but remember, according to Ken Katsaris, he said that he murdered, he, quote unquote, like, the person, yeah. murdered people in three digits, which many experts believe that it was higher, like, higher. Higher than 30. 30. Um, but. I don't know if three digits is realistic. I don't know if three but digits, but it's definitely more than 30, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, in tapes of his confession, he talked about gory details and a chilling, creepy whisper that I'm 100% sure he just did for weird Oh, effect. 100%. He was just like, I, if I'm going to confess, I'm going to make it weird. And I'm like, Like, I'm going to make like, an impact. Shut up. Yeah. Because he's a narcissist and he so, wants his name known. Yeah. So, for example, in reference to the murder of George Ann Hawkins, he said, quote, The Hawkins girl's head was taken up the road about 25 to 50 yards and buried in a location about 10 yards west of the road on a rocky hillside. But he, like, said it in a whisper, and it was, like, gravelly voice, and it was so weird. That's so it fucking was weird. creepy. Um, he also confessed <laughs> to necrophilia. Of and course. And the postmortem care of his victims' bodies, which no one had suspected up until that point. So that wasn't even, like, a talk. Yeah. Like, no one thought that he did that until he said it. Um, so he, he said, was just like, oh, also I did this. No, this is weird. He said he would often wash their clothes, dress them, do their makeup, etc., so that the corpses looked pleasing to him. Which is like fuck off, literally. What the fuck? Isn't cannot deal. No, that is horrific. Like cannot deal. I literally no. Uh uh. Done. You're done. You're done. So go die. Um, he blamed much of his violent crime on pornography. He said it was quote like an addiction. You keep craving something harder, which gives you a greater sense of excitement until you reach a point where the pornography only goes so far. Then kind of which makes actual sense in this case because we talk about how young he was when he was exposed to that for the first time. Yeah. Um. Uh. He says quote also I've lived in a prison for a long time now and I've met a lot of men who are motivated to commit violence just like me and without exception. Every one of them was deeply involved with pornography, without question, without exception, deeply influenced and consumed by addiction to pornography. Yeah. So he was, like, he was just saying, like, this is why I did it. And yeah. I believe that it definitely helped. I don't... I, I think don't think it's the sole so, reason. No, but I believe that no. it was definitely part of it. Like, I but, think that that exposure to the violent type of pornography that he had at such a young age yeah. definitely, like influence the way he perceived things like that absolutely but i don't think that it was enough to like no and i don't think that he deserves to like put the blame on something else i don't think he like he committed the crimes he knew he knew what he was doing he did it like that's the main message you know like that just because there were other factors that went into it doesn't mean that he wasn't the sole person Person and thing responsible for those crimes absolutely so, a day before his execution, an FBI agent working with him alleged that Ted threatened suicide by sticking a pen into his artery oh. while sitting and talking with him, saying that he, quote, wouldn't let them kill him. So, he... He was like, I'll die, apparently, just not by you. He was just like, I could literally stick this pen so far up in my artery that it would squirt all over your face and I'd be dead by the time you blinked. And, I, and he was like, what? Uh. According to this guy. 
So the agent apparently talked him out of it in a religious manner by saying that he didn't want to take another life before being judged by God, and somehow that worked. I'm like, I don't know if that's real, that's though. That's so like, weird. Ted seems like a person to be like, well, I don't give a fuck. Like, no, yeah, he, but also, he joined the Mormon church. Well, they excommunicated him later. Oh, <laughs> Did I, tell, I didn't tell you that. You didn't tell me but, that. No, because after he was, like, found guilty of all this stuff, they were like, uh, no thanks. So they excommunicated <laughs> that's him. That's so funny. Because <laughs> they were like, no more no, of that guy you. for us. So, yeah. We're done. Um, the day of his execution, thousands of people gathered outside the prison in a rally. Um, they chanted things like, burn, Bundy, burn. Good. People were selling t-shirts, there were fireworks, posters, etc. And it's like, I've, eh, like, I'm con- I feel mixed uh, yeah, about same. that, you know? Because like, I'm not, like, like, in support of it, but I'm also, like, they have every right to be angry at him, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, I get the anger, but it's almost, like, glorifying yeah, his Yeah, it's death. making, it's too much of a, yeah. It's too much of a show. Like, obviously they have a right to be angry, but it's just- The selling the t-shirts thing threw me off. Yeah. And, like, the fireworks. Like, well, I get the Well, the t-shirts had, like, an illustration of him, like, quote, frying in the chair. Like, it was yeah, weird. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't, yeah, I didn't vibe with it. Um, his last meal was steak, hash browns, toast, and eggs, which he actually didn't eat. Oh. That was just, like, what he ordered and He was like, I it. want all of this food. Never mind. Never. No, I don't. Um, his final words were to his lawyer and minister. Quote, Jim and Fred, I'd like you to give my love to my family and friends. I hate that that's the last thing he ever said. Yep. He was pronounced officially dead Stop. on January 24th, 1989, while crowds cheered outside the prison. His execution, according to one news source, said that it may have been carried out by a female executioner. And I'm like, girl boss! <laughs> slay. Slay. I'm like, literally, the irony? Slay. I, literally, that makes me so happy, and like, I don't even know again, why. Again, death penalty? No. no. Not in support of it. But, but like, Bundy? if he was gonna go to the chair, a female, female executioner, yeah. girl boss. Anyway. Literally, if anyone deserved to kill him, it was, it was a female it, executioner. Yes, so... Um, he asked for his ashes to be spread over the Cascade Mountains, where he said he had spent some of the, quote, best times of his life. Did they grant that and shit? And where he confessed to killing and disposing many of his victims. Tell me that I don't know didn't... if they did, actually. Thank I don't know. God. And I'm like, I really hope they didn't. I, if they did, gross. I'm literally gonna cry. That's, like, nasty. Because that, like, grants his... Yeah, well, because he was, like, it was the best up. times of my life, and that's where he, like, killed, killed and disposed. Women. Yeah. Like, disgusting. So, I don't wish to end this episode with a quote from him. So instead, a quote from George Deckel, the lead investigator of the Kimberly Leach case, which yes. I, I agree with this quote wholeheartedly. He is such an evil person who had done so much harm, hurt so many good people. He was just a piece of garbage in the shape of a human being. Thank you, George Deckel. Love that quote. That is literally my favorite. So yeah, that was guys Ted Bundy part three. We made it. We, this case, literally insane. I have poured my soul into this case. You literally worked so hard Thank on this you. case. Thank you. It's I, been insane. It's, there's so much information on it. I really oh, hope yeah. that I did, like, justice covering it all. Oh, 100%. Um, all the victims deserve recognition. Fuck Ted Bundy. Literally. Like, like screw him. <laughs> um, you know, all of those things, but. Thank you guys so much for listening for these three parts. Yes. Thank I you hope for you... being patient with our schedule. Yes. Um, I hope you enjoyed. I apologize. This episode is really long. I just wanted to get all of the information in there that I could. And but it's I like didn't splitting want to separate it, it into yeah. three and four. Because um, then they would be fairly short. short. Yeah. And also, schedule? Uh, yeah. 
So yeah, um, like I am gonna be leaving this Sunday again. So it's like, but yeah, we're literally like crunched for time. So but yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, yes, a couple of shout outs that I wanted to do. I remember Evil Pudding podcast. We love yes, you guys. You guys You're are amazing. Great. Um, you, they gave us a shout out and uh, Crime Daily Crime as always. Yes. We love her. Uh, true crime and academia. Love you. Thank you for the interview. I'm sure there's so many other people there's that I can say, but yeah, many other people. But I, yeah, thank you, guys. This case is so draining. Like, thank you, we guys. We were both on an emotional high, and now we're just like, because it's all done. Yeah, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.